welcome to NCBI Labs. So it's good to be back for another live event this week. We hope you've been enjoying our weekly events as well, and it's certainly been good to be able to cover so many subjects in such a short space of time over the last few months. But before we start today's show, we just want to mention a couple of things to you to keep you informed of a few things that are uh, in store over the coming weeks. First of all, we just want to give you a little bit of notice about what we'll be covering next week. Now, we'll mention this at the end of the show as well, but with the COVID-19 tracker app being released, it's a good time to discuss that particular app and how you can use it uh, to the best effect. So next week, we're going to be looking at that app, the COVID-19 tracker app, and we're hoping to speak to someone from the HSE too to be able to just help us with that. So the reason why we're giving you kind of advance notice of that. If you have any questions about that app, if you've any concerns, any things that you're wondering about, even the accessibility of it, those sort of things, you can send them in advance to the usual email address, labs at ncbi.ie, and uh, you'll be able to uh, put those to us. We'll try and uh, cover those in the show next week as well. And uh, of course, uh, another thing that we want to mention is that uh, while we've been covering our live events weekly up to this point, we're going to continue doing that up until the end of July. But with things starting to get back to something approaching normality, at least over re recent weeks and hopefully over the coming weeks as well, it's going to mean a little bit of a change to our live events. So from the start of August, we're going to be running our live events a little bit less frequently. We'll be going live once a month from the start of August. So from the start of August, it'll be once a month for our live events. We'll give you further details about that. And uh, of course, we'll keep you informed as to when we're running those live events. One way that you can keep informed of any of these things, of what's coming up in any of the future live events or the regularity of them, any of those sort of things, is actually by means of our newsletter. So we have a newsletter which you can uh, sign up to um, at www.ncbi.ie and you can go to the technology section there, just follow the links through and you'll uh, be able to sign up to our newsletter online or you can just send an email again through to labs at ncbi.ie and that'll just uh, keep you informed. You'll get a, a newsletter every week uh, keeping you informed of what's coming up in future live events but also covering plenty of related articles as well that are really helpful too. So if you'd like to, to uh, be kept up to date with that, please do uh, sign up for our newsletter as well. But just getting back to today's show, what are we looking forward to today? Well, following on from last week's show to a degree, we spoke about accessibility in the workplace and the applications that we're looking at today are ones that can actually be very helpful in the workplace setting. A few weeks ago, we mentioned the inbuilt accessibility features in Windows, things like narrator and magnifier and changing the mouse pointer, all those sort of features to make Windows more accessible. Well, this week we're going to look at a couple of purpose-built packages that do that. We're going to talk about Supernova and we're going to talk about Zoom Text. Now, they're, they're sort of similar applications. They do some similar functions. There are some differences in it as well, but we'll try and uh, look at both of those. And we're going to do that by means of a video in, in terms of Supernova collect, 
Quinn Levin, uh, an NCBI Labs trainer, has helpfully prepared a couple of videos on Supernova for us to get a bit of an overview of that. And then we're going to have a chat with Hilary Devlin, who's uh, working with NCBI as well. We're delighted to welcome her to the show today and she's going to be joining uh, the, the usual panel this week of Sean, uh, Daniel, JP and myself will be uh, discussing those particular packages. Then a little bit later on, we we have the long-awaited interview with Stuart Lawler. We have it at last, and uh, you're really going to enjoy this one. Stuart is a, a really interesting guy to chat with, so stick around for that a little bit later on in the show. Of course, as usual, if you have any questions or comments about any of the things that we're discussing today, uh, please do send us those questions, those comments. You can use the question panel on the right hand side if you're uh, tuning into Teams there and you can email labs at ncbi.ie and uh, we'll try and get to those questions today if we can and if not we'll do so in a future live event. And of course if you'd like to support our live events or other NCBI services as well you can go to donate.ncbi.ie donate.ncbi.ie and don't underestimate the good that that can do to keep our services uh, going. So you can sponsor one of our live events as well if you like. You can email labs at ncbi.ie if you'd like to do that. For now though, let's go straight into our first topic for today. We're going to talk about two packages. Both have some similar functions, but we'll try and give a bit of a flavour of both. And first of all, we're going to have a look at a video from Collect Quinlevin. Now, it's important to mention here that this package has a couple of elements to it. And to properly demonstrate this, we need to look at the elements one by one. So the first element is in relation to enhancing the, the visual display. If that doesn't suit you, if that's a problem for you to the uh, just the visual without the audio, stick around for the second video a few moments afterwards where we'll uh, demonstrate the audio element of the package first. But let's look at our first video here of the visual features of Supernova. Hello and welcome. My name is Colette Quindleton and today I'm going to demonstrate Dolphin Supernova software. Dolphin Supernova is a magnification and screen reading software for Windows. It is available in three different editions to suit your level of vision. If Supernova doesn't launch automatically when you start your computer, you can use left control, shift and S to start it once it's installed on the computer. When it loads, it displays the Supernova control panel, which contains all of the settings for Supernova. On the control panel, we have the, at the very top is the title bar, and then below that is the menu bar, which provides access to all of the settings available via drop-down menus. File, file, file menu, new no selection menu, so we have speech turned on here at the moment. So it's reading out the um, headings on the menu bar. And the headings are vi file, visual, speech, braille, media, general, and help. Visual no selection menu. For speech the moment, no selection menu. 
for the moment, I'm just going to turn off speech because we're Voice going to check shortcut oh, one of ten. Because we're going to concentrate on the visual aspects of um, the features of supernova for the moment. The button bar is positioned below the menu bar and contains large, easy to see buttons which provide access to Supernova's most commonly used settings. Depending on which edition of Supernova you're using, there are a number of different tabs on the button bar. And on this one, um, we have visual, speech, braille and media. This is the magnifier and screen reader option. And to see what's um, within each tab, you just click on the headings with the mouse. Or once the focus is on the button bar, you can use control and tab to scroll through the different options. To hide the control panel, you press escape. And to bring it back up into view again, um, you press left control and space. You can access Supernova's functions by clicking on the control panel with the mouse, as we have been doing, or you can also use Supernova's keyboard controls. And these are extremely useful if you have low vision, as it allows for speedier access to different functions. Information on keyboard commands are available when you download Supernova by accessing the help menu on the button bar in the control panel. So I'll just show you here. I'm clicked on the help button and now I can, I'm just going to choose magnifier and this brings up different options. So I'm just going to go into where it says change magnification size. And this gives me information about change in the magnification size, including the hotkeys for increasing and decreasing magnification. There are also short, short useful tutorial videos available under help in the menu bar. So now we're going to look at features contained in the visual tab on the button bar. On the visual tab, you can choose to turn on and off the magnification by clicking the icon with the with the which is a blue square with a magnifying glass on it. And click it again, it toggles it back on. The key, you can also use the keyboard command left control and enter to toggle on and off the magnification. Magnification levels range from 1.2 times to 64 times. And again, you can change the magnification level by pressing um, left control and plus to increase the magnification and left control and minus to decrease the magnification. There are also 
two buttons, plus button beside where it says the size of the magnification. Let it, the plus button increases the magnification and the minus button decreases the level of magnification. You can choose different ways to view the screen. For example, at the moment, we're looking at the screen in full screen mode. You can change this using the magnifier view button. You can change this to fixed window, a movable magnifying glass, or split screen. And the keyboard command for this is left control and numpad seven. And with the split screen, you can have half the screen magnified to the level that you want, and the other half is at the standard um, size of the, the screen. And this is useful if you want to um, work, if you're working on a document and you need magnification, you can set it to your magnification level. But you can also, somebody who is not using magnification can look at it on the um, standard size print. At the moment, the magnification is on the left hand side of the screen, but you can change that to be at the top, at the right or at the bottom. And now we're back at full screen mode again. When you increase the magnification, you can you can see there that you can fit less on the screen. So to see what else is on the screen, you you need to move. You can move your mouse um, to pan around the screen. Similarly, there is a keyboard command for panning, which is right control and your arrow keys. So you can pan to the right, up, down, or left. And you can change the, the speed at which you go. Um, and when you want to stop panning, you release the, um, the buttons. In the middle of the control panel, you have access to different options to make the screen easier to see. For example, you can change the mouse pointer. At the moment, I have a red mouse pointer. So if I click on the mouse pointer icon, it brings up a dialog box and I can change, I can choose um, a different uh, mouse pointer scheme. So I'm going with large yellow here. And I click on apply and that changes my mouse to yellow. In this area of the control panel, there's also the option to turn on highlighting, which means that Supernova will track the focus of the computer for you. And you can choose the color of the highlight yourself to make it stand out more for you. So again, you can see here there's different large red, large blue, large yellow, there's various options there. The color scheme option 
gives you access to 24 different colour schemes, which can help to reduce glare and increase your comfort while reading. So if we click on this, it turns on the colour scheme. And this is a red and black option that was um, the last colour scheme used. I can click on the enhancement option here and there are other options such as invert brightness which when I click on it it now um, changes the colors on the screen for the background of the of the control panel is black the writing is white and the the screen behind is blue other options are negative, grayscale, high, high contrast white and black, high contrast black and white. And then there's a number of other, scheme, other schemes, um, different tints and different color combinations. You also have the option to configure your own custom scheme. To turn on the colour scheme or turn it off, you use left control and numpad zero or you click on it with the mouse. The two final um, features that I'm going to look at here in the visual tab are line view and dock reader. Line view is the option to have the content of the screen shown as a single line scrolling across the, the screen. So I'm just going to, to open a document here. And I'm just going to make sure that the focus of the computer is on the document. control and home there to go to the top of the document. So line view, to start line view, you press left control and numpad period. And to start scrolling, you press spacebar and the text begins to scroll from right to left. You can increase and decrease the speed by using the up and down arrows. And you can press escape to exit line view. So some people find that just simplifies um, reading and it just makes it a bit easier for them to, to read. Doc Reader is another facility that lets you create your own reading environment, and this helps to make reading more comfortable for you. It can be useful if you experience issues from glare or fatigue. With Doc Reader, you can display text from documents, web pages, and any other sources showing text on the screen and have it read to you. So to launch Doc Reader, you press caps lock and numpad plus. 
Now I have set my colours here. I've got a green background with yellow print um, and I also have a highlight option um, which when we, I'm going to click on play on the doc reader and you'll see highlighting there. Microwaves introduction choosing the right cooking appliance for your needs can be fraught with difficulty for anyone and especially so if you are blind or partially sighted. So the um, the highlighting is pink with um, blue writing. And those color combinations can be changed to suit your own particular needs. To exit Doc Reader, you press Escape and you're back to your standard document. So these are the main features on the visual tab of the um, Supernova control panel. The next part is to look at the speech tab. Very good. So thanks very much to Colette for uh, putting together that video for us. Maybe as you were uh, listening to that description of some of the uh, features there, some of the features possibly sound a little bit familiar from the inbuilt uh, features in Windows. But actually, as we saw in the in the video there, there's an awful lot more to it as well in Supernova. And the same would go for Zoom text as well. There's a lot more to uh, these custom made packages specifically for uh, for this purpose. So that was the visual element. As we said earlier, don't worry that if that was uh, maybe not what what you would use if you would need the the audio element because Colette has also prepared a video for that purpose just going through some of the audio elements of Supernova as well so we're going to have a look at Colette's second video now and, and uh, look at the audio tab on Supernova. And welcome. This video demonstrates functions contained in the speech and other tabs of the Supernova control panel. And the speech tab is located on the button bar and it gives you options to turn on and off speech either by clicking on the icon in the control panel or by pressing left control and zero. Speech checked. You can increase and decrease the volume again by clicking on the mouse with the mouse on the plus and minus buttons. Volume 91, 92. Oh. Or you can press left control and equals 94 to increase 96, the volume 98 and left control and minus 96, make it softer. To change the reading speed, you press left control, left shift and equals speed 12, speed 13, speed 14, speed 15, make it faster speed 16 and then left control, left shift and minus to make it slower speed 15. Speed 14, speed 13, speed 12, speed 11. Within the con control panel, you have the option to adjust the verbosity level. And th this means you can control how much detail you want to hear and the way you want to hear it. 
So, for example, users that are getting started can choose a high verbosity level and Supernova will prompt them which keys to press. So we'll have a look at how this works in practice. So I'm just going to open up a document here. Menu, left mouse button, choosing kitchen appliances compatibility mode word. Anyone and especially so if you are blind or partially space. Start of document. So I have a document up here in front of me and I'm going to get Supernova to read it for me. So I press numpad plus. Choosing cookers, ovens, hobs, and microwaves introduction. Choosing the right cooking appliance for your needs can be fraught with difficulty for anyone and especially so if you are blind or. So as you can see there, numpad plus starts um, supernova reading and I pressed space to stop it. As it was reading, because I had the highlight option from the visual tab, I had that turned on. You can see that the highlight is tracking along where supernova is reading. Blank line. I can read line by the line. scope of appliances on sale is diverse and often confusing. Just, just by Not pressing. Many other. Just by pressing my down arrow. Things you will need to decide what type of fuel to use, gas or electric, whether you want it. Or I can go back. The range and scope of appliances on sale is diverse and often confusing. Among many other. The range and scope of appliances on sale is diverse and often confusing. Among many other things, you. And. Use to continue to get it to read um, through the whole document, you press numpad plus. I'm just going to um, open up Menu. a blank document here. One word. And and here you will see, I'm just going to type in a very short sentence to, for, so that you can see um, how Supernova reads as I type. So. H E L L O capital hello space. H O capital R E R space. What you, you question. So you can see here, because the verbosity level is set quite high, um, Supernova reads the characters and the words and also the punctuation. And as mentioned already, you can change that um, to suit your own particular needs. Save your changes to this file. File name. Hello, save it, choose a look, more save, save button, cancel button. Don't save button, pressed, choosing kitchen appliances compatibility mode word. Things comma, you will need. So that's how um, Supernova reads um, documents and reads as you type. Supernova control panel, speech page, voice languages group. So on our Supernova control panel, this um, on this particular one, um, we also have Braille and media options. 
and depending on the edition that you have, there are options for the use of Braille and the Braille display. Braille page. And these Braille display group. Braille output check checkbox. Also through the media tab, you have options to scan and read printed documents and to access entertainment. For more information, you can download a demo version of Dolphin Supernova to try out, or you can contact your local technology trainer with NCBI Labs through NCBI's helpline 1850 3343 53. To quit Supernova, press left control and spacebar if to bring up the control panel, but as it's up here, as it's up here in front of me already, just make sure, button. Just, um, I can press Alt and F4. Quit Supernova. If you quit Supernova, your speech and magnification will stop. Are you sure you want to quit? Yes button shortcut what? So a dialog box comes up asking me, am I sure I want to quit? Um, the yes button is highlighted, so I can click on that or press space press. to say yes. And this will close Supernova. Thank you for listening. Very good. So thanks very much to Colette for taking us through both the visual tab and the uh, audio tab there as well for uh, Supernova. Now, as we mentioned earlier, there's another package as well called Zoom Text that has some similar functions. And we're going to maybe discuss that a little bit more uh, in this next section. And uh, we're delighted to have Hilary Devlin with us. Hilary works with NCBI as well. And Hilary uses uh, technology in her day-to-day -day life working with NCBI. You're very welcome to the show, Hilary. Thanks a million for having me, Jude. Thanks a million. So, Hilary, do you mind just giving us a bit of an idea? What um, software would you use uh, on your computer at the moment? Okay. Um, well, just to give you, I suppose, a bit of background, I'm an ECLA within NCBI, so I'm an iCare liaison officer. Um, and I use the computer an awful lot in what I'm doing. Um, so I use a magnification package called ZoomText. And as you said, it's quite similar to Su Supernova. I would have used Supernova in the past, but just the way circumstances went, I <laughs> started yeah. to use ZoomText more. Um, I use it obviously in work and also in my personal life. Um, and it's I, I basically do it for, use it for everything that I do online. Full stop. Yeah. Couldn't be okay, able to not yeah. use it. Couldn't be able to to use my computer without it now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it gets quite a workout. <laughs> it certainly no, it certainly does. And I was a little bit um, a little bit resistant to magnification at the beginning. Mm. Probably a little bit of ignorance as well. Um, I didn't use any magnification in college, which mm. looking back now was a bit short sighted of me. Excuse the pun. Um, but I didn't want to be seen as as different to anybody else. I didn't really ask for any help and didn't know that that kind of magnification package existed. So yeah. um, struggled through college with neck pain and eye pain and having to write, write handwrite essays rather than type them because it was just too much, too much like, you know, hard work. And then when yeah, I yeah. got my job at NCBI 20 years ago, I was asked by 
Colin Kenny, like, what kind of package do you use on your computer? And I was like, Windows. <laughs> I didn't actually know that there was a specialist package yeah. that could do what Zoom Text does. And yeah. to be honest, I've never looked back. So it really was kind of life changing for you to have. That. Oh, completely. I mean, I I suppose um, coming to work in NCBI, the jobs I'd had previously, you know, I'd been out and about. I I'd, I'd worked in Barristown. I was looking after kids, so I didn't really use any kind of like I used basic emails and stuff, but I never had mm. to be online and and use um, the programs that we use in NCBI. So I don't know how long I would have managed. Um, if I hadn't taken it on board, I think I would have ended up in very, very worn out and very yeah. stressed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. it took me a bit of time to get my head around it because of the, you know, not being able to see the whole screen. But let's with the magnification. But let's be honest, I wasn't really seeing the whole screen anyway <laughs> before I used yeah, yeah. it. So, yeah, yeah. So just a case of kind of adapting to a new way of using it, but it, it brought the benefits. Absolutely. I think I think some people might be a little bit uh, reluctant from that perspective because you, you think it's going to slow you down because if you know if I have it up at by five or by six I'm only seeing that amount on the screen but yeah. it's it's phenomenal how quickly you can adapt to it and you know bring the magnification up or down very easily yeah. and navigate and I think your your memory of a website or your memory of something like where things are laid out just yeah. works in a different way so you can find things much quicker so yeah it's just took a little bit of time but once you got over that it's it, it's brilliant yeah it's yeah. absolutely fantastic yeah, very good. You mentioned that you used um, Supernova before and you're using Zoom text now. So you've got kind of a you're in a good position to maybe compare the two side by side to a degree. Yeah, yeah. Um, we won't get into right like really technical sort of all of the differences yeah. between them. But just from your experience, what would you say the, the differences are and why would you choose to use Zoom text yourself at the moment? Um, well, I think obviously Supernova it, for me, I think it was now I know there's there's a speech obviously with Zoom text well, but I just I feel Zoom text is just I, I it's just clearer to use for me and right. the controls are clear. Yeah. I felt that sometimes now again I was using Supernova a couple of couple of years ago. There was a couple of things that I didn't didn't like. Yeah. <laughs> um, it didn't work work so well with. Now those like those things could have been straightened out at this point. But I just I don't know. I like the the actual control panel of Zoom Text. Um, yeah. The contrast. I just I think it's stronger than Supernova, and it's less busy. Um, and I just it I just. I honestly just prefer it. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. It's like it's like anything. Like why would you prefer one thing over the other? Yes, yeah. I don't use the speech, so I can't compare that. Yeah. Um, but visually, I just prefer it. I'm sorry. I don't. I know yeah, that's not yeah. a great explanation, but I just. And also, it's like I don't know about Supernova, dude. I don't know, but having the ability at one stage because I was working in a couple of different offices. I'm sure you can do it with Supernova too, but um, I had the. The USB. Yes, That's when I trans really transferred uh, transferred over to Zoom Text, and and I was working in Dublin and on Dock and at home, and it was just yeah. brilliant to be able to yeah. move it from one computer to the other. Absolutely, and to be fair, I think that actually the way you've expressed that is exactly what people kind of need to hear because it kind of is just down to preference sometimes, isn't yeah. it? If you've got yeah. two packages that do very similar things and they both do them quite well, mm. it's it the preference does come into it and it does play yeah. a big part. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you use some of the speech features that are in um, Zoom Text, or do you just use the the magnification? I, 
I just use the mag I just use the magnification. Now it's not that I haven't tried. Um, I just think I was a bit of a reluctant user at the beginning. So right. I really just took the magnification on board. Um, I don't think I'm an oral learner or an oral, oral, oral. Nice. I don't think I learn so well that way or listen. I found I did try it every so often, but I kept drifting, drifting off and I, I just couldn't concentrate. I had to see it. So for some people, that's they need it. And that's absolutely that's that's absolutely there's obviously for them. They need it. But for me, I would probably have it magnified even if I had to have it up to 10. I would yeah. prefer to physically see the words then hear them. Um, so I suppose that's why I haven't. But I would listen to audiobooks. <laughs> like I would listen yeah, yeah. to audio. But when it comes to my work, I think thankfully I have enough vision to do that. And I think I would choose the vision visually to see it magnified over hearing it. And that's just I have that option. So yeah. I'm lucky to have that. Yeah. Again, it's kind of interesting just hearing the preference side of it. Would you say from your experience of using the program, would there be people who might choose the, the other way around that actually they might they might um, use it just that little bit easier with the audio, even though they might be able to bump it up? As you were saying, you might bump it up to 10. Somebody yeah, else I might mean, decide, I well, do... actually, I don't want it that big. I want to be able to yeah. listen instead. I have to say, Jude, like if I was a parent, of a child who had vision like mine, okay, um, I would be encouraging them to to, to yeah. use the 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 speech and the audio. I would because um, I think it's just something that I've unfortunately I've just got a bit stubborn about, yeah. and I am probably missing out. I do get tired, and I know there's documents like that I could just sit and listen to, but I'm a bit sticky. And I mean, maybe it's something I should be looking at actually having this conversation and listen can teach a dog new tricks and stuff. But if I was a parent, I would be suggesting because so much now yeah. is online. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. So much is online. So um, yes, in the other way around, I would say you could use both. Again, it's preference. But I think if I was 15, I would love to have done both, to be honest. Yeah. You know, I would, yeah, yeah. Just, I'm a bit stubborn. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know you well enough to be able to say <laughs> that's true or not, Hillary. <laughs> I am a bit. I am a bit. Though the last I, I won't invite the panel on to discuss that. Now yeah. at this point. <laughs> let's, let's discuss whether that's the case. Tell me something, Hillary. Do, when you're using um, Zoom text, do you, do you always use the mouse to control it? Do you use hotkeys? How do you, how do you control the settings on it? Again, I'm. <laughs> I just whipped in and started using it as quickly as possible. So I, apart from, you know, switching on and off and increasing and decreasing the magnification and escaping, I use the mouse. Um, I I was a, a Mac user originally, like way back, you know, when when Apple Macs came out. And like we had actually, my dad worked with Apple and we had, a, you know, one of the first Macs. And I just always had a mouse and I think it's just me. Um, I think the Supernova has it too, obviously, but I my one of my biggest problems was losing the the mouse pointer and you know not being able to navigate. So yeah. my my pointer is massive, like it's huge, big green arrow. Um, yeah. And I just whip around with the mouse. Now, some people find like if I've colleagues behind me or even my husband go, Hillary, that's just making me dizzy looking at that, you know, yeah. and I'm like, well, don't look at it. <laughs> but it 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 works for me. Could it be would it be probably be faster using the hockey? Probably. Um, but Generally, I don't think it holds me back too much. Um, and I think 
one of the having we talked about having the split screen that's a way i suppose you could manage um you know with with both with the controls and but i like yeah i'm a mouse i'm all about the mouse the mice yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and tell me something again just kind of the settings and controls of yeah. zoom text if if you've sort of made changes to how it displays and things like that and then you turn off your computer does it does it hold those settings or it does yeah yeah you can set it to default so like it it's like so say you have it you're working away and you go okay lovely this is the right magnification for me for generally now i would increase and decrease the magnification depending what I'm doing. Like I would have the magnification at its highest if I'm in a Word document or sending an email because I don't have to worry about seeing. I know my way around a Word document without actually being able to having to see the um, the taskbars or whatever. But if I generally have it set at five magnification five, you can go in and set it as default. And once you set it, you just turn your computer on and then it just starts immediately. And if you have a, a super duper laptop like I have, thanks to all the lads in labs, um, it doesn't, it, it starts so quickly that you just turn the computer on and it opens up straight away and away you go. And it's brilliant. it's brilliant. Yeah, you don't yeah, have to worry yeah. about setting it each time. You were saying you kind of have particular settings for email, for example, if you if you know the layout of the screen. Yeah. Is there a way to get it to kind of save those settings or how do you work? that do you have to go into when you go into your email you might yeah. change the settings again when you go out of it you change it again is that what happens i so? just do yeah like i have it on caps up arrow up and down so i literally will just go it's so quickly it's the same as moving a mouse you just go up down up down like when you were chatting and um colette had her presentation i was just going up and down to see what she's doing i don't even think about it now um yes. in the office Though we have our large monitors, again, it's fabulous and really, really good. We have the two monitors, which is like it took me a while to get my head around that. Um, yeah. Sean was incredibly patient uh, with me on that one. Um, but what I generally do, dude, is I would have, say, if I'm on a website that I don't know, I'll have that, say, up on one screen so I can just navigate around it. Whereas I'll have on the other screen, you can change the magnifications on both screens. So it's, it's just brilliant. Like um, you can have the you control the magnification. So my email might be up to six or seven, whereas my other screen where has the, the web page I'm going to might just be at 1.5 or 1.2 because I or sorry uh, 1.5 or 2 because I just need to see because I'm not familiar with the website I'm at. Yeah, so yeah. that is unreal like that is yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah it's really yeah. good. And yeah. I think one of the, the big things that, that you mentioned earlier already actually just in terms of the usability of a program like this is to be able to not just have it um, only installed on one PC. Having yeah. the ability to use it on different PCs, maybe with your USB key, that's quite yeah. a big thing. It's it's really important. And I mean, I think that, um, you know, we're not, especially with what we've been gone, gone through the last, you know, the last number of months. I Because I work, I work in a hospital, I work at home, I work in, in head office. Now, I have everything I need on my laptop, but before that, being able just to stick you know, put the, the yeah. USB in and away you go. It's massive. It's massive freedom. So like if you're working for a company or you were in college and you had to work in different campuses and you had to go to one campus and use their computer system there and use another, you know, another campus, um, 
it's it just gives you that freedom and you don't have to worry you know it's the worry all the time especially like you don't want to be behind anybody else you just want to be the same as everybody else like there are things that take longer look let's be honest there are but this having a package like zoom text it just means that you can get your work done the same as as everybody else you know and participate in meetings and like something like teams like yeah. once i learned the layout of teams once i knew where everything was there's no reason I wasn't able to do the same as everybody else. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah very good. Well, it's been great to chat to you, Hilary. Thanks really very much, Jude. Yeah. Uh, thanks no for joining problem. us on the on the programme as well. No problem. Um, so if anybody wants to try out um, Zoom Text or Supernova, you should be able to get a, a uh, trial version that will work in 40 minute mode for Zoom Text. Um, particularly you can get that 40 minute mode for Zoom text. If you want to get the Supernova magnifier screen reader, you can download a free 30 day 30 day trial uh, before purchasing it as well. So if you want to try out those pieces of software, please do. So that was really uh, instructive. Thanks very much again to, to Hilary for uh, your comments there and to Colette as well for putting together those really helpful videos on Supernova. Now, just before we move on to the next section of our show, just a reminder again about our show next Next week, we'll be talking about the new COVID-19 tracker app. So please do get your questions or your comments into us. Uh, it's it's obviously a, quite a, an important thing uh, at the moment. It's it's uh, something that's going to be maybe um, causing a little bit of anxiety and stress for people, uh, particularly if you're, if you're wanting to get a hold of that app and you're worried about the accessibility of it or anything like that, please do just send us through your concerns, your questions. We'll try and uh, make sure that they're answered in the show next week. Now, moving on. Just a, a few weeks ago, um, you might remember that we were trying to talk to Stuart Lawler on our show. Um, we had a few issues, unfortunately, getting to be able to talk to Stuart for the uh, Seeing It Your Way piece. But you'll be glad to know that we actually managed to catch up with Stuart again. Thanks to Stuart for making the time to record an interview yesterday. And we're, we're going to hear that interview now in this week's Seeing It Your Way. So I'm delighted to welcome Stuart Lawler to the show. Now, many of you who are listening will uh, know Stuart from maybe many, many years of working with Stuart and working with NCBI as well. Stuart, for those who don't know you already, can you give us a little bit of your background and maybe a little bit of background on your sight loss as well? Yeah, sure thing, Jude. It's great to be here, by the way. Lovely to be at a, um, an NCBI uh, live session. Uh, so uh, many thanks uh, for the invitation. So yeah, as as you said, uh, I'm Stuart Lawler. Um, I'm totally blind. I'm, I'm one of the, I don't know what the percentage is, the very low levels anyway, two or three percent, I think, of people who um, identify as blind have total sight loss. And that means um, no light perception. That means nothing. Um, so my um, eye condition is something called um, retinoblastoma, which was or is uh, tumors uh, um, um, on the optic nerve. I, I was brought into the eye and ear hospital when I was six weeks old, and it was it's kind of funny when you hear about it now. It was like uh, the mid seventies, and it was only discovered because somebody, a family relation, uh, apparently lots of people were having conversations saying, gosh, uh, Stuart isn't responding to any lights. Did you notice that? But nobody would say it to my parents because they felt, well, how, how do you broach that subject, you know? Yeah. And uh, I am I was the first 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 child. I was the eldest. I, I am the eldest in my family. Uh, so eventually um, my dad's mother 
who died a year after I was born, she she decided that she would mention, she said it to my dad, you know, maybe Stuart, he doesn't seem to be focusing, maybe just bring him into the doctor just to be sure. And uh, they brought me to the GP at home in Kildare and he said, I think we should bring him to um, to the specialist um, at the Ioneer and they ran some tests and so uh, obviously the optic nerves had to be severed um, in order to stop the tumour growing. So uh, as a result, I'm totally blind to some degree, I suppose, Jude. Uh, for me, that, that's been all I've known. So I have never known anything else. And, and that is my my normal. You know, we're hearing this word new normal all the time at the moment. Yes, yeah, it yeah. kind of drives us mad. <laughs> that, that is, that, that for me, that is my normal. And um, I have been, yeah, doing lots of different things with technology um, with the National Council for the Blind for many years. Uh, and then I moved on uh, just two years ago. Okay, so just come back to when you were very young, when you were first diagnosed. I'd imagine that that must have been quite a, a stressful time for your family, for your parents at that point. Maybe you weren't so aware of it at that age and maybe you were kind of protected from it a little bit. But as you got a bit older, did you become a bit more aware of that kind of stress? I suppose my my family were always very, um, look at, you need to be treated the same as anybody else. But I have no doubt, and in fact, I know for a fact after speaking, you know, to my parents in the past that uh, when they were told, when they were given a diagnosis that your son's going to be totally blind, they were mid-twenties. I was their first child and they didn't know. There was no, like, there's no internet. There's no, how do you, who do you talk to about this? What's out there? What does being blind mean? Yes. What are the prospects for for the future, you know, it's, it's huge things and big words and, and 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 no real support. So I think they, uh, through lots of just chatting with other people and someone talked to someone else and eventually they found, oh, there's a guy in Dublin who happens to be blind, he's a bit older than Stuart and his parents are also struggling and looking for someone. And then a few other people got together and, and I think over time they just built those connections, but it took a lot longer than it might take now. And yeah, I think over time, maybe I, as a as a kid growing up, didn't really appreciate the significant stress that that, that I'm sure that caused everybody um, around me. And were it not for their kind of tenacity, I suppose, and their willingness, you know, not to give up, then we probably wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation today. Yeah, it's it's interesting just to hear that perspective as well, because that's probably again something that a lot of families will will identify with. Interesting just to hear as well though, those qualities of tenacity and things like that does have actually a real impact um, on somebody's life. If that actually is the way that somebody's approaching it and getting on with it, it can actually make a, a massive in, impact on somebody's and the success of how somebody adapts to that kind of normal, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, in, in, in some ways, your your family experiences and how you're treated and how you are supported and allowed to grow really shapes the person you become. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What sort of technology would have been available at that 
time to help you in your schoolwork, for example? Yeah, so I mean, the first piece of technology, and I'm using technology very broadly here, Jude, but I think it is. Mm, yeah, yeah. The first piece of technology I ever used was the Perkins Brailer. And I love the Perkins. And you know, there's people nowadays, You, uh, my, um, my Perkins Brailer sits under my desk here at home and is used probably three times a year to write a birthday card or a Christmas card for someone or write a braille label. And I read numerous appeals from people saying we need desperately need braille, braille, you know, if you have a spare Perkins braille or an old Perkins braille that you're not using, we need us to send it to Africa or somewhere else to help, you know, blind children. And do you think I'll part with my Perkins braille that I use three times a year? You know, <laughs> so it, it's a great piece of technology. And that was the first thing I used. And then there was a device I remember we got in the, the early 80s um, in, in school um, in Dublin. There was a, co a company called uh, Telesensory in the States and they made a device called the VersaBraille. And I don't know if any of your listeners would remember the VersaBraille. 20 cell braille display and it used cassette tapes to store files. And we thought this thing was, hey guys, we've, we've reached, this is it. It doesn't, doesn't get any better than this. Oh, we're, yeah. we're here. Versa Braille was incredible and thousands and thousands of pounds at the time. And, you know, if you were allowed to touch it for a few minutes and type on it and oh my God, and it stores this stuff on a tape. And, and I remember instead of files, you had chapters. So you would create a chapter and a chapter could only have 1000 pages. So if you went over a thousand pages, it had to become a new chapter or a new file. And you could store 10 chapters on a tape, five on side one, five on side two. And we they they pretty much told us this is this is this is as good as it's going to get. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then sure, floppy disks arrived with the Versa Braille. The next Versa Braille had a floppy disk drive and sure, this was fantastic altogether, you know. <laughs> so it's amazing how we think we have reached, you know, the pinnacle and then technology. And I guess as kids, you know, we didn't realize that this was just the start. And the other one, Jude, I have to mention to you yeah. is I remember seeing um, in, I think it was the ILAC um, library, uh, mid-1980s, we were told there's a great new device in the ILAC Central Library. We're all brought in to see it. All these excited blind kids going in to see the Kurzweil reading machine. Oh, this thing yeah. was the size of a washing machine. And people would, would play, and you'd, pay, you'd put a page of print on this thing and 45 seconds later, it reads it. My God, this is incredible. Uh, 45,000 Irish pounds at the time. And here we are now with this stuff on seeing AI in our pocket. Yeah, on our iPhone. Phone, like, yeah. It's just, it's madness how, and, and you wonder, what will we talk about in 10 years time? And we're yeah. maybe looking back at an interview like this and saying, my God. So yeah. uh, technology has been, it has been incredible how it has sort of crept into our lives in so many ways. And those early devices, like I remember using the BBC computers, the old, uh, then there was the old DOS computer with HAL um, yeah. from Dolphin and using WordPerfect 5.1. And that got me through college with floppy disks. Uh, my first laptop had a, what was it? A 40 megabyte hard drive, WordPerfect 5.1 and a, an external speech synthesizer. And I'd carry a big bag with all the cables around and connect them all up at the start of each lecture. Do you know, um, you're not only describing the progress of accessible technology and, and technology in general, you're giving away your age as well. Stuart. Well, yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, they can track mid-70s, it's, yeah. Um, but, yeah. But, but that was, there was so much stuff. And I think at the time, 
this this technology was obviously very expensive and very uh, very hard to get your hands on. But um, I, I I think even then we realised this is this is a game changer in terms of access to information, in terms of being able to do stuff on an equal level, especially when you're in kind of mainstream education like third level. Yes, yeah, and just kind of from what you were saying there, it's it's incredible just thinking about how technology has changed, but also even how some of those things that you mentioned, the concept behind it or the kind of technology, the basic technology behind it or the basic premise has actually been, you know, the longevity of that has been incredible, really. A lot of them have actually continued to be used. They were continued to be used or they did continue to be used for, for many years. And even the concepts are sort of still around, really. Yeah, and there's some great, it's a great point. And there's some great examples of that in some of the Braille technology we use today. So the old Braille and Speak machines, which I've, I'm sure some of your listeners listening in, Braille Speak, Braille Braille like machines, people have very fond memories of uh, Blazy note takers. So Dean Blazy, uh, who founded Blazy Engineering in the, the mid 80s, Blazy Engineering came out with the Braille, Braille light and Braille and Speak devices. The commands they built into those we're still using today on our note taking devices, things like um, your Apple iOS, your Braille, Braille, whatever it is, Braille Sense, Braille Note, L Braille, whatever they are. Uh, the, those concepts still exist, yeah. and those, you know, uh, fundamental tools that you would have used back in the eighties are still relevant today. Yeah. Do you mind me asking, Stuart? A lot of people who, when they're thinking about. Uh, the idea of accessible technology you might be listening to a live event like this and could be sort of thinking, well, I'm not into technology or you have to have an aptitude for it. Was that something you have ever had a particular interest in anyway? Was it something that you kind of this was just the way you did things and so you kind of got used to it? Yeah, I, it's a really good question and I'll, I'll, I'll say two things about it. Um, and I will answer your question in a second. But the, what I will say is, and I say to people frequently, you don't have to be into technology. You don't have to be a tech geek to use all this stuff. But you do have to, fortunately or unfortunately, I guess, you do have to be able to get it to a point where it will work for you. And I think more so for people who have a disability more, and more so for people with sight loss. Bottom line is technology is so involved in our life. If you think, Jude, of the times you, you know, you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? Look at your phone or maybe you turn off your, your phone is waking you up. I'll switch off the alarm, grab your phone. I normally look at the weather then and I flick through the news before I get out of bed I'm doing this with my phone. And then I'm doing something, you know, there's bits of technology all the time. Yeah, that's the first it's actually thing. a good point. Just even as you mentioned that, it's probably useful for us to hear that kind of run through a day almost mm -hmm. of how you use technology. So as you were saying there, you kind of wake up in the morning straight away, you're checking things on your phone that will be useful. Yeah, my phone wakes me up. Uh, my um, Alexa device is there as well. I probably ask Alexa something or maybe she wakes up. Um, we use uh, we use things like seeing AI all the time, and especially now because uh, we have a child, we have a fourteen-month-old, so we're using seeing AI to read labels, to check things for him. Yeah. Uh, I'm using, um, for example, 
if I go out walking and I want to check my step count, doing that on my phone, there's no doubt that the iPhone, um, and, and I say iPhone not just because it's the thing I'm using it, but it's because they really were the first to make this accessible touchscreen smartphone available. There's no doubt that the iPhone has been one of the biggest game changers for people yeah. with sight loss. Uh, although prior to that, the Nokia handsets with the old program called Talks that some people remember the screen readers and we brought this technology uh, into NCBI in 2003 and that was hugely exciting that suddenly, you know, relatively cheaply um, yeah. handsets could get into people's hands. Um, but but I, I, yeah, I suppose other things I'm thinking of during the day, like outside of the work stuff, which is all technology related, yeah. um, you know, um, online shopping. Uh, getting your getting your groceries, checking uh, what are the best before dates, using your phone to do that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, there, there is there are there are so many things. Yeah. That we're Absolutely, that we are yeah. using and, that we're engaging with technology on. And to be honest, I think that that's kind of a key part of being able to sort of level the playing field, as you you kind of mentioned earlier, because this is what everybody is doing that. This is just part of life, isn't it? Technology is just part of everybody's life from morning, noon, and night, really. It, 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 it is. And, and I suppose sometimes we as people with sight loss, whether we're blind or have low vision, have to engage with it in a slightly different way. And it won't always be painless, by the way. You know, that that app that maybe all your friends have talked about, oh, it's a great thing. You download it and you can't use it. And and by the way, 99% of the time, it's not you, it's the app, yeah. it's the technology. Uh, and maybe you need a little bit of help and you contact um, NCBI or, 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 or whoever, but it's, it's, it's understanding that you got to make technology work for you yeah. and, and leverage that because life is, hard enough, you know, and um, yeah. there's enough other challenges. So use the technology in whatever way you can. It's worth reiterating what you were just saying there that 99% of the time it's not you, it's the app. Uh, absolutely. And, and even, and I, I go back to, I'm, I'm actually remembering um, in NCBI in my days of a, when I was a, um, a technology trainer and a major, uh, major um, online retailer who had um, um, who had a shopping service and we were we were showing somebody how to use the website and she was very happy and used it week on week to do her shopping. But one day the website got upgraded, it got a major upgrade. Yeah. And let's just say that accessibility got sort of left behind for a little while. But this seriously threw uh, this person and lots of other people because suddenly they can't get these items that they were looking for. Yes. And it has huge knock-on implications. So, um, you know, technology does fail. And some of the times I used to spend a lot of time talking to people about what happens when it fails. You know, what are your strategies for getting yeah. around that, you know? Yeah, it's a good Cause question. Because it, it, it will fail. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's a good question for people to kind of even think about themselves. Yeah, it's quite a, a, a useful one. Um, just on the subject, as you mentioned there, kind of that that's maybe been an area where there's been a bit of an obstacle of getting the full value out of technology. That the the effect, the impact that you could get out of it sometimes wasn't always possible, or maybe everything wasn't updated at the right time. You couldn't get the full value out. Has there been 
other things um, through your experience, any other obstacles that you would say that maybe prevented you from getting the most out of what was available at the time? Oh, you know, in the early days, obviously, like when we didn't have screen readers at this day, at the level we do now, there are so much great stuff out there. You know, there's there's free or paid for screen readers as you wish. You know, people can use whatever they want to do whatever job they need to do. Um, back in the day, I remember when when we were at home, when I was uh, 12, uh, 11 or 12, we got a first our first computer was an old Amstrad, uh, very run of the mill home computer late 1980s and my sisters my uh, my twin sisters were nine and they became they became human screen readers um because we i used to use the word processor to do my homework uh, i used to use i used to sort i realized they're really interested in how we can make this technology work yes, but they didn't yeah. have a screen reader but they became human screen readers and they still kind of talk and they got very good at knowing that they didn't need to read the whole screen they knew the bits that i needed to hear yeah and they yeah. got really they got really good at knowing how to how to sort of summarize the information and i think that was a really interesting experience for them as well yeah um and, and i used to always say you know i remember getting um getting i think it was a musical keyboard at the time because i when there's nobody around and when when everybody is far away i try to play music <laughs> but uh, i used to uh, i remember getting a keyboard at one point and it had all sorts of great features and there was a huge book that came with it i remember thinking oh my god i wish i could read this thing and yeah. you'd be asking a family member can you look up you know it's uh, such and such a section they're flicking through it and it's taken them ages and you know you're putting somebody out and they're not really into doing it you know uh, they'll yeah. do it but it's like oh it would be so much easier if i could do this myself now we just google the manual yeah, uh, yeah. any you know get it get it within a couple of seconds or there's a million different forums where all these people are asking the same questions yes and yeah. that's thanks so th i think they were the things the big things that technology and of course the other i suppose aspect was that i'm i'm old enough um to remember the move and this is very significant i think to mention this the move to windows from yes. a very much dos command line interface which was very fast yeah. still is very fast um very fast way of getting information suddenly we're moving to windows i remember when windows 95 came out and bill gates was there was a big big promotion and they had the rolling stones start me up song <laughs> big tv advert and hey guys there's no accessibility in this and so yeah, i remember yeah. being in college at the time and people saying to me there's people going to lose their jobs out of this because there's no accessibility there's nothing built in uh we didn't have well we we kind of had jaws we had window eyes we had something called windows bridge at the time none of the these guys were all caught unawares microsoft hadn't worked with them in advance so they were frantically trying to catch up to build something for windows 95 and they knew that this needed to be done very quickly but now you look at today and if you want to install windows from scratch and you don't have a screen reader microsoft narrator is built in right from yes. the beginning there's yeah. no doubt we've come so so far on so many different levels yeah it's it's an interesting thing just as you mentioned there because progress isn't always progress for everyone at the same time is it it's kind of like progress for for many people then for windows 95 coming out people might have been jumping up and down thinking how brilliant it was to have 
that. But sometimes you do have this sort of element of it doesn't always come along at the same time. Um, so it's great to see that it, it does it does eventually get there, but it'd be nicer if it was kind of all at the same time sometimes. Yeah, and I remember in particular with Windows 95, like asking people, what's it like? You know, yeah. because I, I had I had used a little bit of the predecessor, which was Windows 3.1, because there actually was a version of JAWS at the time supporting Windows 3.1 when I was in college. And I remember asking, what's Windows 95 like? And uh, I remember talking to a friend of mine at the time and he said, um, it's fine. It's kind of the same. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, but if it's the same, why doesn't it work? It can't be the same. There must be something, you know, yeah. it obviously looks a lot better. Or there's something more fancy. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, of course, when we did get the access, um, you know, to a to a large extent, it probably wasn't a whole lot different. Um, <laughs> but but it was that that time between the product being released and before we had access, which was, by the way, about if I'm not mistaken, almost a year. It's a long time to wait. And now by 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 I guess by standards nowadays, it's a huge amount of time to wait. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just just kind of coming back to something you said a little bit earlier, and maybe sort of this has a an element, this has a technology side to it as well, but it's not just entirely about technology, I suppose, for this element. You mentioned there about that that feeling of kind of not wanting to bother somebody else sometimes. I would imagine that a lot of the time, the way you kind of process something yourself or where you're at at the moment yourself, could could that end up being a little bit of an obstacle to being able to get the most out of something as well at times? Not necessarily that, that other people have a reluctance, but maybe there's a feeling from time to time that, that other people might have a reluctance to help. Yeah, possibly. Um, and maybe then maybe maybe it's your perception maybe that reluctance and by the way i i'm not sure that anybody who i ever asked for help was reluctant maybe yeah. i felt and exactly as you say and in fact i used to I used to almost bring, I used to batch my requests, you know. So, yeah. Listen, could you have a look at that chapter? And if you didn't mind, could you just also check yeah. uh, page 26? Yeah. Uh, or I'd, I'd, I'd say, now I'll ask my dad this one, and then I'll wait a day and ask my sister, can she do yeah. this fish? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, and, but, you know, perhaps that was partly me and because, I, and I was also aware that what I, some of the stuff I was asking was quite technical and again it goes back to this human screen reader they were essentially reading to me but I was processing the information and to them I don't think it was very interesting stuff you know yes, um, yeah. so does it does it impede your own uh, your own maybe thirst for knowledge or how you how you how you find your information I think it possibly in my case poss yes it possibly yeah. it's kind of interesting isn't it because one reason why I I ask that is just simply even from the perspective of when we're talking about kind of learning new te technologies and things like that. Sometimes it does help to have somebody around just even while you're while you're getting to grips with a new technology. Everybody finds that a, a little bit as well, I think. And, and I think everybody would find that we can sometimes have a reluctance to kind of either try something new or a reluctance to ask somebody to, to give us a bit of guidance. But then when when accessibility is kind of 
dependent on that sometimes at the start. That could be a serious kind of roadblock if, if we don't get over that sort of internal feeling. Absolutely. And I don't know, Jude, if you've ever been in a situation, I know I certainly have on maybe on, on, on you know, courses or you're, you're at a lecture or you're, you're somewhere and uh, someone says, anybody have any questions? And you're sitting yeah. there going, I don't want to be, I don't want to ask. Yeah, I have yeah. a clue what he meant by that. And then <laughs> someone goes, can I just ask what you meant by? And you go, yeah. oh, thank God someone else did that. <laughs> so it's it's kind of, it, I, I, you know, I think it's almost knowing that no question is stupid, no question. Yeah. And we all started off at this point. And I love, still love, and I do a fair amount of this nowadays, just sitting with people, seeing how people learn and yes. supporting people to understand why technology is so, can be a really powerful tool in their, in their, in their sight loss journey, because I suppose, you know, we're talking about sight loss here, in their, in their daily, in their daily life with sight loss, yeah. why technology is such an ally, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting, actually, just talking to you and getting those perspectives. I mean, if, if we were to kind of, not that you can particularly easily sum all of this up, there's so many kind of different aspects of technology that we haven't focused on and the different ways that you might use it in, in your life. But if you were to describe the overall impact that technology has made on your life, how, how would you describe it? How would you kind of, if none of this te technology was a bit available, for example, what sort of a difference would happen? That, you know, that's a really, and I think about it every so often, and as you've asked it just there, I still get almost scared thinking yeah. about it. We well, we wouldn't be sitting here. Obviously, we wouldn't have this technology. But I wouldn't be working. Maybe you wouldn't be working in this world. You know, yeah, yeah. um, it, it's it's a very it's a very interesting question because of course it's kind of like, what has this made you do? Well, for me, it's allowed me to work, but it's also allowed me to, for example, during COVID-19, uh, I didn't see my my parents in Kildare for um, 15 weeks, I think. We used to have these Zoom quizzes every week, you know, family quizzes, which loads of people ended up doing. During, oh, and I would switch on my video. I never switch on my camera, mostly during work meetings. And here's an interesting thing, by the way, another set, little sideline. Yeah. I never switch on my camera, Jude, when I'm at home. And I said this to my boss, at the start of COVID, I said, because I don't know exactly what the camera can see. Yes. I don't particularly want him to see my clothes horse or, or toys on the floor or whatever. And he said, absolutely, no problem. But anyway, I switch on my camera uh, when we have the Zoom quizzes so that everybody can see me and that they, I look okay. Um, I'm still alive. Um, so I think technology has that, even those kind of things, life stuff, um, allowing us to books, the amount of reading that I've been able to do, yeah. downloading books from Audible, from um, NCBI's Overdrive Library, which is wonderful resource, by the way, um, the Bookshare service that NCBI have, outstanding resource. Uh, again, all thanks to technology, and 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 it has just been there, uh, um, an integral part of of my life, and I know an integral part of the lives of so many people who are listening in today. Yeah, absolutely, and I'd say so many people would uh, completely agree with the sentiments that you you expressed there. Looking forward, 
where do you think we're going to be? Like you, you mentioned earlier, if we were to be looking back in, in 10 years time at an interview mm. like this, yeah, we could be in a very different place. W- what would you expect will be the kind of development of accessible technology? And as a kind of secondary question to that as well, what would you like to see? OK, I, well, we, let's go right out and then we'll come back and be a bit more realistic. Yeah. OK, <laughs> so I, I'd like to drive down to Mayo and bring you out for lunch or something someday <laughs> in my in my Google car or whatever it's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll and, go with that know, one. Maybe, maybe <laughs> we will get to do that. Who knows? Uh, so look, the, the idea of the, the driving car, the self-driving car, um, there's a uh, there's a company down in um, in Chewham in County Galway who create a lot of the self parking stuff uh, for cars at the moment. And I visited them a couple of years ago and they said back and this was 20, 2017. They said then that if you wanted to put driverless cars on the road today, you could. The challenge is driverless and driver cars together uh, will we'll have problems because obviously you know, computers and humans and how we react to things is, is going to be different. Uh, but where in the immediate or maybe midterm future, I think we need to spend, a, there needs to be an advocacy, a piece of work done around white goods, white goods being made accessible. So uh, I will struggle if when we have to replace our hob, for example, because most hubs now are flat, you can't feel the rings. Yes. Uh, they're touchscreen. How do you set them? How do you know what temperature you're setting them to? Yeah. Uh, my TV uh, doesn't talk to me, so I can't read the uh, electronic program guides. I can get a lot of access through other means, uh, but I can't do that. Uh, the washing machine that we have here has three programs that we use all the time. There's about nine on it, I believe, but we don't know what the others are because we just we sort of worked out three things we needed. It would be great if those things could talk. So I think we've we've come so far with our mobile devices, with our PC-based, Mac-based, whatever it is you use. It's I think the domestic things, the smart home. Um, interoperability, I suppose, with our existing technology for that to work would, is for me a, an area of huge interest. And the other one I think is just in employment. Um, we have to make sure that we can educate the mainstream um, recruiters, let's say, to to let them know that technology is the greatest enabler for people with sight loss. And this this kit, the right kit in our hands, because we all know the people who go for, th- for these jobs, the people with sight loss go to these jobs, they're smart people. That's why they're going for these jobs. They're, they're able to do it. There's no question about that. But we have to make sure that technology um, allows these people to perform uh, the very same as their sighted peers, if not better. And we have to make sure that um, we can respond proactively to um, issues around, for example, web-based applications in the workplace or challenges around in-house applications that may not be accessible. And they're the things that I suppose we're dealing with all the time. Um, And they're the things that are going to impact, I think, a lot in the future around how the world of work operates and how people with sight loss can make meaningful, meaningful contributions to it. And I think, you know, the last thing is that we have to keep advocating. We have to keep ensuring that accessibility and usability, because they're two things that are combined and that work hand in hand, um, remain 
at the fore. And that if you find, and this is a really, I think, worth saying, Jude, if you download an app to your smartphone and you find it doesn't work, the best thing you can do is not, well, you can ring NCBI, of course, you can ring Jude or somebody else, uh, but the more effective, even better thing you can do right away is write to the developer. Find out who the developer is and send a nice email and say, listen, I've just downloaded your app, or if it's a website, I've just visited your website and I'm using some assistive technology and these are the problems I'm having. If you're not sure what the problems are that you're having, then ring NCBI or ring someone else and ask them to check. Uh, or anybody who knows me, by the way, I'll put it out here, ring me, I'm happy to. You know, we this is a community thing. We all need to help. So we, we as visually impaired, as people with sight loss, can advocate collectively to ensure that our technology experience gets better and better. And, and that's the biggest thing that we can do to ensure, to make sure that the future is bright. So yeah. if there's something that doesn't work for you, let the person who created it know. I'll give you a really good quick example, Jude, yeah. of uh, an application a couple of years ago, um, which was really popular at the time because what it did was it was a little Java application that ran on your PC that would let you send text messages using your um, web text um, yeah. function. Not really useful anymore because we all get unlimited free text for everything. Yeah. And there's lots of other ways to communicate, of course. But at the time, I really wanted to use this app, put it onto my computer. No, it wouldn't work. JAWS wouldn't work. So wrote to the developer, not really expecting a reply. It turned out he was a, um, a one-man band living down in the west of Ireland, would you believe? Uh, wrote to the guy on a, say, Tuesday evening, and I said, oh, you know, I've just tried using this with a piece of software. I think I was using JAWS at the time, called JAWS. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't work. Is there anything you can do to help? Sent it off and didn't really think I'd get a reply. Yeah. Had a reply the next morning. He, he said he not only wanted to help, but he had gone off and downloaded a demo of JAWS and was playing with it and would come back with an update shortly. And okay. he did, and yeah, he fixed yeah. it. So, you know, you're, you're not only advocating for a better society for the rest of the community of people with sight loss, you're also educating the mainstream tech yeah. um, industry that, hey, we all use this stuff in in pretty much the same way, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think to be honest, that, that same message that you, say, that you mentioned there um, has kind of come through a few times in, in recent weeks on the, on the live events. And it is one worth continuing to, to kind of repeat because if more and more people are actually feeding back information that is useful to the developers, the developers generally, generally do want to know this kind of information anyway. And even if they don't, it's actually important to draw their attention to those issues. Absolutely. And to say that, hey, you're a person with a disability, you have as much spending power, you're as equally as important as the next person. And the, and the other thing is, if you don't know what the problem is, don't worry. Sometimes people get very, feel they have to use technical language and, you know, to, do you know something? It doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. I open it in my iPhone and voiceover is silent or there's loads of unlabeled buttons or whatever it is. Put that in, put it in writing or ring them or, or you know, uh, get onto NCBI or whoever and, and, and people, there is people who will help you to make sure that your feedback goes back to the developer. And most developers are very keen uh, to act on those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and we are getting to a point, by the way, where 
the not just the developers, but the manufacturers, the people who host these app stores, for example. So Google and Apple are both, to be fair to them, are both very proactive now around really pushing accessibility. So if you produce something and put it to the app store that's not accessible, um, they are starting to come back and say, hey, you know that you're excluding a percentage. Now we have to, of course, I say all this, but we have to also be aware that there are some applications that by their nature and by the design and by the audience for whom they are made, they're not yeah. going to be accessible. Yeah. And that's fine. But in so much as we can, we want to make an inclusive community that we can all be a part of. Yeah, it's it's really interesting just to, to get your thoughts on, on those things as well, because a lot of those things are within kind of the reasonable things to expect, the reasonable things to hope that in the in the future, these things will, will bring about um, some continued improvements and progress. Um, just to, to kind of finish off, we've really in, enjoyed talking to you, Stuart, but if there was somebody listening to this interview who is just getting to grips with changes in their life due to sight loss, for example, or maybe they've got somebody in the family and uh, they're, they're really just trying to trying to work out how to how to go about this. Is there any advice that you would give um, to, to those ones? Well, I suppose, uh, you know, everyone's experience is different. Everyone's journey with sight loss is going to be different. Everyone's family dynamic is different. But what I would say is take your time. You may you may well think about the tools you used maybe prior to sight loss. So if you're coming to terms, if you're maybe your journey with sight loss has recently begun, maybe you used an iPhone or an iPad or an Android device previously, there's a fair chance you're going to be able to use that device, maybe in, albeit in a different way, yeah. but you're going to be able to do that. And I would also say, think about the things you did previously and maybe what what you would like to be able to continue doing. You know, if you said, and if this is going to be something really simple, God, I loved watching TV, but I, I get no enjoyment out of it anymore because I always feel I have to rely on someone, ask someone questions. Well, we have audio description. Maybe it's worth finding out. It, it, are the shows you like described? Do you have subscribed to, um, you know, Amazon or Netflix or one of these things where, where audio description is very, is very much available? And, uh, uh, you know, also I would say that there are lots and lots of people out there who are only too happy to help. You know, yeah. we're. Uh, I think um, actually, if if um, if COVID nineteen has taught us anything, it's a it's given us a little bit. It's given us a chance, I think, whilst we were all locked down at home, to just pause and reflect and think about life and think about those people around us, and think about how we can, how we need to support each other and check in on each other and be there to offer advice and help. Um, so think about what you used to do, what you might like to do, and how technology might be able to help you in that way. Yeah, very good. Well, it's certainly been really enjoyable to chat to you today, Stuart. Good to catch up and good to just be able to see the difference that, that technology has really made in your life, but also the kind of potential that it still has for further progress as well. Thanks very much for joining us today, Stuart. We appreciate that. Jude, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure and uh, hope to speak to you soon. Thank you. Very good. So that was Stuart Lawler and it was great to catch up with Stuart, a uh, familiar voice to me.
Annie, I'm sure, uh, but it was uh, really good to catch up with him. Here is uh, experience throughout different stages stages of his life as well, but the uh, kind of the effect and impact that technology really made uh, throughout his life. So thanks again to Stuart Lawler for joining us on our uh, live event this week. We really appreciate that. Very good. So our time is nearly up. Just uh, time to uh, give you a couple of reminders that if the, if uh, you want support on any of the subjects that we speak about on our uh, live events, uh, whether it's software or hardware, whether it's something that was mentioned today or previously in, in previous live events or one that we haven't even covered yet, please do get in touch uh, with NCBI Labs. You can contact the technology support line on 1850 92 30 60 or you can email labs at NCBI. .ie. And remember that if you need advice or support from NCBI services on a range of different issues, you can contact our national helpline on 1850 33 43 That's 1850 33 43 53. Or you can email info at ncbi.ie. But for today, we're uh, pretty much finished. Just to mention as well that if you want to support our uh, services, NCBI services, you can visit donate.ncbi.ie uh, or you can sponsor one of our live events uh, by emailing us at labs at ncbi.ie. So that's pretty much our show for today. But as we mentioned earlier, we've got a good show lined up for next week as well. Uh, a reminder that we're going to be cover covering that COVID-19 tracker app. So again, please do get your questions or comments in, your concerns about that ahead of the show next week, and we'll try and address those. Uh, in coming weeks as well, we're going to be looking at uh, Braille technology, we're going to be looking at typing tutors, and we have a number of other subjects that we're going to look at as well. Stuart mentioned earlier about some of the accessible white goods and uh, improvements maybe that he'd like to see in, in that regard, which I'd, I'm sure many would uh, echo. Well, we're going to talk about that in a future live event as well. We'll talk about some of the kind of household goods that might be out there already or what we'd like to, to see in the future as well. But uh, all that's left for me to do today is to thank our contributors. Thanks very much to Hilary Devlin, to Colette Quinlivan and to Stuart Lawler as well. And our panellists today as well, Sean, Daniel and JP, we really appreciate the work that's gone in behind the scenes to get our show up and running. And we look forward to seeing everybody again next week for the next NC. CBI Labs live event.